0: feel like I basically say this almost every Sunday now so we shouldn't have to say it anymore but today's going to be different <laughs> and today and next Sunday are going to be different we're uh, we're going to have a family meeting of of sorts thing a family conversation of of sorts one of the words used to describe the church in the New Testament is family is an idea that we are brothers and sisters together uh, we are meant to, to be one together, and so families always have hard conversations together if it's a healthy family, because you've got to deal with stuff. So the next couple of weeks, we're going to have uh, this week and next week potentially some hard conversations. I want to start the conversation by something that could really get me in hot water thing and could come off really poorly and wrong, so I want to be very careful how I say this and very gentle how I say this. I'm not yelling this morning, but I am very passionate about this. And that is a very simple thing, but yet a very complicated thing. Starting worship on time. What I mean by that is this. It bothers me. It really actually does bother me. That we can't start with one united voice together. Now, I recognize that we live in a laid-back culture. And I do not say this morning to make anyone feel guilty for being late or whatever. That's not the point. My point is to share my heart and a little bit of the reasoning behind the way that I'm thinking. Songs are not a prelude to the sermon every Sunday. We could have a service on a Sunday with just the sermon and we'd be just fine. We could have a service on a Sunday with just songs and we would be just fine. The songs aren't fillers meant to buy some time, that we can get everybody kind of calmed down and focused for a sermon the songs are meant that we would come together as a group of people and sing praise to God if it worked differently we could all actually just stay at home and just sing a song by ourselves and listen to an audio recording I mean I'm being very honest here that would be a lot better stewardship a lot better stewardship but that's not the intention so I want to encourage everyone this morning, if at all possible, that we would make an intentional effort to really engage with one voice and one heart every Sunday morning from the moment we say, go. Now, relate sometimes, absolutely. It's not like we're going to be keeping track or anything. That's not the point. And I know that some of the response is this, well, we want to be welcoming to visitors. We want to be standing outside there in the entryway. Let me tell you something. You're being more unwelcoming to visitors by clogging up the entryway than you are in here being passionately engaged in worship. You want to be attractive to visitors? Let them come in here and see a group of people that wants to do one thing, bring praise to God. That will make people want to be here when they come here. We're not going to lock the doors at 10 a.m. Our hosts are there to welcome people and say, can I help you find a, a seat? We're not going to give them a card that says you're late. That's not the point at all. The point is simply that all of us would come together and sing. I've been told by other pastors the following, don't say anything, just throw in an extra song and an extra prayer. Here's the thought process. It's easy for people just to kind of meander in during a song as everybody's kind of meandering and people are just singing. Again, the song's not waste. Or just throw in a prayer as though one person is praying and everybody else is distracted because people are trying to find seats, da, 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 da. When we pray in a worship service, I might be the one audibly praying, but we're praying as one congregation. So again, this morning, don't hear this as a, oh, geez, here we go thing. just hear this as a desire and a passion, that we'd have such a hunger to sing praise to God on Sunday morning, that we'd physically actually just want to get in here to give God We can accomplish all of our objectives of being welcoming uh, at the exact same time, coming together corporately to unite and give praise to God in song and prayer. So I just share again with you my heart. This is not a yelling. This is a, wow, wouldn't it be awesome if we had this passion together as as a congregation? And again, my final warning would be this. This isn't meant for you now to kind of go out and pick out people within the congregation that are late and give them the evil eye not the intention at all. Take care of our own hearts, take care of our own minds, take care of our own time clocks, and it'll all work for the good. When I was in sixth grade, I actually played the baritone, believe it or not, in band thing. I'm not sure if I was first chair or last chair thing, but they asked me to keep playing, so I assumed that I had some musical ability. Well, that baritone, if you've known the baritone at all, it's a rather big instrument. And I had to carry that baritone. We lived over here when I was growing up, kind of near 26th and and Cliff, if you're familiar with that, right up the street here. And then I had to walk to Patrick Henry, which you're familiar, just go down 26th Street and then a couple blocks off. So, I mean, it wasn't like across the street. It was a, I don't know if it's a mile or what, it was a decent-sized walk. And I mean, I'm a big guy, but that baritone is a big instrument. If you think I'm a big guy today, just think back when I was in sixth grade. And so I had to carry that Bear Tone to school every day. And one day I'm crossing Cliff Avenue and 26th Street. So a little bit busy, you know this is 7:45 in the morning. The beauty of this Bear Tone is it came with a little strap that you could pull along. Kind of one of those little luggage things that you'd have in the airport. So I'm just pulling it along right across 26th and Cliff. What happens? The Bear Tone case just boom. Breaks, falls open right there, and the Bear Tone just rolls out. But well, what do you expect to come out of an open baritone case? Let me ask that again. This is a simple question, folks. <laughs> what do you expect to come out of an open baritone case? Exactly, because a baritone case carries baritones. And so here I am in the middle of 26th and Cliff. As a big guy, people are scared of me, but a baritone rolled out in the middle of one of the busiest intersections of the city. Now, when a tone case opens, you expect a tone to come out. Maybe you've had a similar experience where a backpack just fell open and everything sprawled out in the hallway, or a suitcase as you were going through security at the airport opened it up, and next thing you know, everything is made public. This morning, I think it would be healthy for our family if our cases and our backpacks opened up a little bit. But here's the danger. We don't know exactly what's going to come out when we open up our backpacks and our bare tone cases. Because we're not bare tones. We're not school backpacks. We're forgiven sinners. So, therefore, there's a lot going on in here. There's a lot going on around here. What would come out this morning of your backpack or your bare tone case? if it came open to the public? Would it be doubts about where you're supposed to be working? Would it be a struggle with a past guilt? Would it be a difficult question about a command from God's Word? What would come out of your backpack if we opened it up this morning? There's a popular phrase in the church, and we just sang it, Come as you are. The challenge is most of us come as we are, and then we leave exactly as we came. This morning I would contend the reason for that is this. When we come, we don't really come as we are because we don't truly lay out our questions, our struggles, our doubts, and our objections. Therefore, we don't really deal with the stuff that we're hanging on to all week. Well, how would you ever expect to change? How would you ever expect to experience God's grace or God's love in a new way if you actually don't open it up to deal with it? I think today we should deal with some of those things. We can't deal with everything. So today is going to be extremely unique. I have no sermon prepared. But no fears. I can go at the same time length. We're going to go with no prepared sermon because this morning we're going to open up our backpacks for a second. So I just want to take a moment right now. You were given a note card and a pen. What question do you have about the Christian faith? What doubt do you have right now? What struggle do you have right now? Or what objection do you have right now? Let's deal with some of them right here on the spot. Nothing's off limits. No one knows which backpack or whose backpack we're dealing with. So just take a moment right now, and on your note card, just want to take 30 seconds for a second in silence, and don't write anything for 30 seconds. This is going to be hard, I know. 30 seconds of silence and personal thinking. And then we'll all write at the same time, or we'll text or tweet or go online if you're, beyond the pen and the notepad these days. No one knows who's submitting anything. We're just dealing with who we are. So let's take 30 seconds right now and just quiet for 30 seconds, no writing. Think to ourselves, what's in our backpack? Okay, grab your note card. Write down a question, a doubt, a struggle, an issue. If you have nothing, write John 3.16 down on the note card. That's just fine as well. Everybody should be writing or texting or tweeting something right now. Go. nothing else. It feels a little bit good to slow down for a second, doesn't it? Clear the mind and the heart a little bit. Let's take a moment right now pass your note cards down and the usher will, usher will grab those note cards from you. If you're done, just pass them right into whichever direction they'll bring them up to me. We're not going to get through everything, obviously, and In one uh, morning, as you get those done, just pass them, pass them down, and usher will be happy to grab it. One of the questions that's coming in online here is, uh, if we believe God's word and know the consequences of sin, why aren't we more desperate to proclaim the gospel and see people saved? If we believe God's word and know the consequences of sin, why aren't we more desperate to proclaim the gospel? and see people saved? Very good question in the sense of the underlying assumptions of believing God's Word and the consequences of sin lead us to a very heartbroken understanding of eternity for individuals or groups of people. If we believe that, why don't we act upon that when we believe also God's Word shares the answer? I would contend for a moment that actually the assumption not making fun of the question, but the assumption in the question is simply not true. That, for the most part, vast majority, I would even argue 96 to 99%, don't believe in the consequences taught in Scripture. Those who believe the consequences taught in Scripture, we see this, send out missionaries at an amazing rate. So if you look at church statistics of who sends out the most missionaries, it's very clearly the churches that proclaim God's Word as true. Here's one of the weirdest things. If you're familiar at all with a guy named John Calvin, John Calvin was um, a church leader a long, long time ago, and John Calvin had what some would argue is some very strict, literal teachings about what God says about creation and His plan for the world. And people would always argue against Calvin, saying, well, geez, everything you teach basically means everything's predetermined. Well, that's one of the things that Calvin taught. However, what's weird is the churches that follow in John Calvin's history or pathway and teach the Bible straightforward, if you look at just which churches send the most money in the missionaries, it's Calvin-based churches. It's these churches that teach this and believe this. They send the most missionaries. The churches that don't send missionaries, that send rather um, not a bad stuff, but not necessarily saving, salvation stuff, are churches that say Jesus is one of many ways. So that one thing is I simply don't believe we believe the consequences. The second element is this. We don't have any, um, what's the word I'm looking here for, energy or immediacy to ourselves because this. Most of us have known and know just comfort the majority of our lives. And so since we have no urgency to us because we can believe all of that stuff and maybe some of us do, but we have no urgency because what? everything around us is fine. And what you don't see, you don't think about, just very practically. So if you're not thinking about, there's literally people dying every day that have not heard the gospel. If you're not thinking about that, it's just out of your mind. Therefore, the stuff we're thinking about doesn't bring that into our view at all. Everything we think about is what? Momentary, right here. Boom, boom, boom. So if you don't think about it, it's out of your mind. So one we don't believe it. Two, we don't think about it. Therefore, there's no sense of urgency. But it's, it'd be awesome if God created that, that urgency um, within us. Another question here is it says, It's a struggle to balance life, being filled and renewed in Jesus Christ personally and as a family, while also going out and serving brothers and sisters. It's a struggle to balance life. I think basic, I'm assuming for a second, that this comes from the struggle of, anxiety a little bit, and worry and stress of being pushed in a variety of directions. This is very common for a lot of us and a lot of people in the church because you got a heart to serve. And so sometimes a heart to serve has a really difficult time saying no. And a heart to serve sometimes has a difficult time saying no to good things. So so one of the biggest dilemmas is this, is the ability to say no to something that's even a good thing or a God thing. Sometimes we have to say no to a God thing so we can say yes to another God thing. So what you have to do here is you have to discern for yourself where does your personality and your style fit best of where God can use you right now. And the best way to do that is this. Do you have a close friend or close friends who know you best that can pinpoint and be very honest with you of where you would be best in regards to how you use your time and your talent. And you've got to be willing to listen to those voices. So again, what I'd encourage you to do if you're really feeling the stress is this. Find another person who you can at least confide in, who can know you well enough that can help you sort through some of that stuff. The worst thing to do is this. Just keep working it through in our own minds. We've in a horrible lie in American culture. This lie is this, that the answer is always within us. No, it's not always within us. Because what's within us is this, a bunch of sin and a bunch of guck, a bunch of doubt, a bunch of struggle, da-da-da-da-da. The, the answer is not always within us. We have to look outside of ourselves. So what voices are you surrounding yourself with and are you willing to submit to? The final piece on the struggle thing is very simply this, and this is the hard word of it. We live in a busy culture that promotes one, two, or three things extremely highly to an unhealthy rate. If I may dare say the A word in church, athletics and the arts. This is huge. People literally change what time they come to worship because the Vikings are on at noon. Folks, very bluntly and honestly, this is a problem. Athletics are a serious problem. We have people that would spend way more on athletics in a year than they would at the question we just talked about of people being saved all around the world. There's nothing wrong with athletics at all. I love athletics participate in athletics, nothing wrong with them at all. However, when a good thing becomes a God thing, it's idolatry. When it begins to dictate your schedule and your feeling, that's a problem. For example, let me share this illustration with you of, of the dilemma. How many of you this morning have ever just gotten pretty upset when watching the Vikings on TV? You've had your hands go in the air a little bit, let's be honest, thing. The voice is raised a little bit. Okay, right, because what? You're passionate about it. Because you don't want it. You, you're excited about it because what? You care about it. You literally do care about it. You want to see him do well because it gives you energy and excitement. Now let me ask a really hard question. Have you ever raised your hands at church before? And you say, well, well that's not pastor. That, we're emotional at, at the Vikings thing. That has nothing to do with what we're doing at church why are you emotional? Because you're invested. Your emotions are following something in your life. Do you have the exact same emotions here because you have the same investment here because it drives the same level of excitement? Well, we're Norwegian, pastor. We're a German thing. That Viking stadium is filled with Norwegians every single Sunday. Maybe stubborn, but don't ever give me the line they're not emotional. There's plenty of emotion flowing around. So the struggle in our lives often comes from this, good things becoming God things. And the only way to work ourselves out of those situations is other people in our lives that will speak truth and walk alongside of us. All right, I'm getting off track. We're not going to get through anything. I'm just going to do a couple of, of, of more here. Let me just, I'm just going to randomly pick one here. Here we go. I want to do Bible study every day. Suggestions? I want to have a better prayer life. Suggestions? This is a, I think this is a common thing that the majority of us would raise our hands for. Thing. There's very few of us this morning that would raise our hands and say, reread the Bible every day. And on the other hand, let me say this. There's no requirement to read your Bible every day. Reading your Bible every day is not necessarily going to solve all of your problems. The reason that we read our Bible every day or encourage it is this. We want to encounter the living God, and the only way we encounter God is through the reading of our Bible. So let me get really practical on how to do this. First is this. Don't set yourself up for failure. Do not say, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. Do not commit to some plan that's 30 minutes a day. You need to simply do this. Pick one book of the Bible, Luke or John or 1 John, pick one of those books, and you just need to read three minutes a day. Three minutes. That three minutes. So you need to pick out a 15-minute time slot during your day at some time, and you just need to read the Bible for three minutes during that 15-minute span. See how much grace is built in there? Twelve minutes of grace. So if you're a little bit late to the 15-minute or the 15 minutes got to close early, you still got plenty of time. Three minutes would change things drastically, and then you began working your way through the Bible in the way the Bible was written, book by book, letter by letter, rather than just freaking out, oh, what do I have for me today, opening up and pointing extremely dangerous. Let me encourage you this morning, very practically. Mark, I mean, Luke, John, or 1st John, just one of those spots, three minutes a day, pick a 15-minute slot. Maybe it's every day after lunch from 12.45 to 1. You just pull your car over after coming from lunch or whatever. Or it's right before work. You leave for work 10 minutes early. You negotiate with your spouse and you say, hey, I need to leave for work 10 minutes early. You just drive and you stop at a gas station and you read the Bible right there for three minutes. Pick the place Pick the time and pick the book. And if that doesn't work, let me go really extreme. Do it with another person. So here, do not, accountability does not work this way. Hey, I'm going to read my Bible this week. And then a week later, checking in with that person. Hey, did you read your Bible this week? That's not accountability. That's an exam. You want accountability. This is accountability. Hey, I'm leaving. I'm picking you up. We're going to drive. We'll sit in the gas station parking lot, read together, and then go our own ways to work. That is accountability. So if the three practical things, pick a time, pick a place, book, a book, don't work, then you need to take the emergency step of pick a person. So that's how you improve your Bible reading thing. Again, this isn't in the Bible. I'm just giving personal opinion right here from experience and talking with other people. Good question. How do you improve that? Let's go with one more here. Now That one's about how do we pray. Well, we've dealt with that. Let's get in here a little bit. how do I prepare myself as my wife continues the long journey in in the fight with cancer? A bundle of things come flooding into anyone's heart and anyone's mind when you begin to think of something as bad and as something as uprooting and dangerous as cancer. There's a big difference between preparing and being in the middle of it. Preparing it is this. You don't know when it's exactly going to come and when it's going to get worse, so you have to be diligent in being spiritually strong all the time. So it goes a little bit back to the Bible reading thing you're not reading your Bible at all and not engaged in a spiritual journey at all and the cancer comes, it's going to be near impossible to engage spiritually at that moment. That's going to be really, really difficult. In the midst of it, first is this. God does not expect a pillar of strength. What I mean by that is this. God is understanding that God himself, through his son Jesus Christ, has gone through extreme suffering and has understood temptation that we have gone through. And so we have to build into our own minds a different view of God a little bit. We can't have this view of God where we just all of a sudden we're starting to doubt a little bit, so our view of God all of a sudden shifts to, God doesn't love me anymore. And that view then leads to something else. It leads to this. It leads to perpetual motion away from God. Because if my view of God is this, I can't please God because I'm not strong enough, at some point I'm going to start pulling away and not even seeking to please God. So our view of God has got to get in a correct position that says this, you are God's beloved child, not because of how strong you are in the midst of a battle, but you are God's beloved child because of his son Jesus Christ You are God's beloved child no matter what you've done or what you're going through because Jesus Christ has already died for you. So in the midst of it, it's not a matter of, am I pleasing God so that I can stay strong? It's a midst of saying, remembering that we please God because of who God has given us, his son, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm I'm talking very theoretical. Let me get practical. Practical. In the midst of the battle, the easiest thing to do is to pull away, and it's almost always the first thing, pull back from anyone and everyone. This is the most dangerous thing. In the midst of the battle, you need this. You need someone weekly walking alongside of you, whether that's having lunch together, whether that's playing golf together, but that person needs to know that you've got to spend a minimum of one, two, four hours together a week talking about life. And this person has got to be so saturated in God's Word that as you're talking about life, they're actually speaking truth back to you, but it's not in a churchy type way. Do you know what I'm saying? So when they say to you something, they don't come back to you and say, well, it says in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, but they know God's truth so much and it's so dwelt in them that they're able to say that truth in just an understandable way. Because you don't need to know the reference at that point. You just simply need to be reminded at that point. So something very practical is this. You need someone, and if your spouse today, or anybody for that matter, that you're close with, if I can encourage you to do one thing today. It's to find one person outside of that person. You might be providing care on a 24-7 scale. Let me really encourage you this morning to do something extremely difficult. Take a major step of humility and ask for help. It's not healthy to care for someone 24-7. It it actually is better for someone else to come for a four-hour block so that you can go away and refresh You know, the old airplane model really holds true. What do they always say? Put the oxygen mask on yourself before putting it on other people. Because if you start to put it on other people, you can't help anyone anymore. There's not an easy answer. And there's no clear answer from God's Word around the why, the when, and the how. But the one promise from God's Word is this. I will be with you always to the end of the age. And God is with us through his word, through his people, and through his indwelling and externally dwelling Holy Spirit. And so today, if you're going through this, have gone through this, please, humbly reach out and ask for someone to walk alongside of you. It will not fix everything, but it can help you move towards God's promise of experiencing peace and joy, even in the midst of the greatest difficulty. Everybody here this morning has something in their baritone case, and about 100% likely it's not a baritone. Are you willing in the weeks and in the months ahead to open up your bare tone case so that when you come as you are, you are able to leave as God intended you to be? Wouldn't that be awesome if we were a place that tr- people truly did come as they are, but they left as God intended them to be? There's a bundle of questions, and we could spend all day here thinking. Next week, I want to continue the family conversation. Not around these, these I will work through during the fall season. But next week, I want to have a very personal conversation about our children. This is personal for me, obviously, because I have kids. But I would assume that this is probably personal for the majority of us as well, because we have kids, or we have grandkids, or we have nieces and nephews. But I want to talk next Sunday about our kids. What are we going to do for our kids? Family conversations are good. Honesty is good. But it's only good when it's saturated in God's Word. This is not Oprah, where we come together and say, what does Pastor Rich think today? This is where we come together and we believe that the Spirit of God will lead us as we study His Word and grant us application from His Word. So I encourage you, to return next Sunday for another family conversation. I encourage you to come together in the fall as a family as we talk, tackle some of this tough stuff that's in our backpacks. Take a moment this morning. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray that God would give you the humility to open up and the honesty to share what's going on in your life. Let's pray together. Almighty God, Thank you for giving us life. God, thank you for arms and legs. Thank you for hearts and minds. God, thank you for everything you give us. God, so often we just forget to say thank you for this gift of life. It's awesome living, God. Thank you. God, thank you for this church. Thank you that you've gathered us with other people to proclaim your word to be disciples together and to make other disciples. God, thank you. God, we come before you. There's so much going on. There's so much going on. There's stress. Stress about athletics. Stress about the arts. There's stress about schedules. God, I pray that today you would intervene. God, I pray that today you'd put someone in that person's pathway that can speak truth. God, not only is there stress... There's physical and spiritual and emotional hurt today because something has robbed us of life. God, today, for whoever is going through that battle or has gone through that battle, God, today, would you work a miracle and restore peace and joy in their life? God, today, would you grant humility God, we don't know all the answers, so we come to you today and we say, be our God, be our guide, be our rock, be our fortress. God, thank you for what you have done and what you have promised you will do. Thank you for the promise of your presence here in our midst. We offer ourselves unto you. We come to you today, Lord, not because of what we've done, but we come because of your grace. So we thank you for your grace, O Lord. We thank you for your favor Lord, we pray now that you give us the strength to live in that grace and for you to be our king. God, thank you for each person here. Ask a blessing upon them in the name of Jesus. Amen.